I'm Marissa Donnelly, host of the Vulnerability Podcast, a podcast series focused on being vulnerable, being emotional, being deep, and talking about topics that people often shy away from. In this podcast series, you'll see stories of faith, hope, inspiration, darkness, frustration, and everything that really challenges us to speak to our human experience and to do so in shedding our skins and being vulnerable. My name is Brendan Burns. I'm here in New York City, uh, where I live now. That's where I'm from originally. Grew up on Long Island. And I think, you know, if we're going to be talking about vulnerability and, and relationships today, my childhood was something that lacked both. Like my parents' relationship with each other was very damaged. Um, they ultimately divorced and then continued to replicate their uh, intimate relationship issues in other relationships, like my mom getting remarried, for example. But talking about vulnerability, I think, is also really important. And it's something that I think was not present in my family very much. And that probably contributed to those relationship problems and everything. And over the past bunch of years, I would say the last five years, I've really um, started like working on myself and doing personal development. And vulnerability is like at the heart of, of what I've been trying to do. And you know, when I hear vulnerability, I also think of Brene Brown. I, like in the past year, I've gotten really into her work. So that's my jam. And and a little, I mean, I can tell you more about my background and kind of whatever you want. Yeah, no, that's that's great to start. I guess I have a question for you to kind of start this off. What does being vulnerable mean to you? Um, I think vulnerability starts with honesty. I don't think that's everything, but I think just being honest, authentic, and true to yourself. Um, I think we wear a lot of hats in our lives and, and I think it's okay to wear a work hat and wear a personal life hat. Like if you like to go out and party, you don't act that way at work. You don't chug beers and stuff. But I think being vulnerable also means um, being open about your emotions and sort of exposing yourself in a way where like it's possible that you might get hurt, but it's also possible that you might have something beautiful happen to you. So like if you're being, if you're not being vulnerable, you're, you're putting up a wall and you're protecting yourself from getting hurt, but you're also protecting yourself from feeling the good things too. And I, I can relate as someone who isolated myself for a few years, I started doing the I used to always just be like totally open with everyone, not truly vulnerable, but very open in terms of like connecting with people and relationships. And I was probably getting very hurt emotionally and not processing those emotions. And that led to drinking and drugs or whatever I was doing at the time. And then I like started the personal growth stuff, started to learn how to feel my feelings, which is great. I'm like anger, sadness, I'm journaling, I'm feeling, I'm like, this is awesome. And then I started hanging out with people and they're like, and then I start to feel all the emotions associated with interacting with other people, which include a lot of great emotions, but can also include painful ones too. And that was what led to me isolating myself. I, I went on a couple solo trips and I was feeling, wow, this is amazing. I don't have any painful emotions. I get to do whatever I want, go to any restaurant, no compromise. I get to do everything on my terms. And I really fell in love with that sort of isolation and I didn't realize that I was, it was a way to avoid being vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you were talking about the wearing different hats, it just reminded me of like, to me, being vulnerable also in a way means like shedding your skin. Like you 
you walk around the world kind of like with this guarded shell and like you're talking about the isolation, like whether you isolate yourself or whether, you know, we fall into different habits or, you know, you pick up different things and you just kind of like start to build a little exterior shell or skin and it kind of like keeps you closed off from the rest of the world. And to me, vulnerability is like starting to kind of chip away at that or just like shed it and be like, okay, I'm going to stand here in my imperfection and my, you know, mistakes and my mess and whoever, all these different things that kind of make us who we are and just kind of embracing that. I don't know. In a way, I feel like vulnerability is almost like self-love. I don't know if you, are they like, do you think they're kind of one and the same? In some ways, I, I feel like they are, you know, like the journey to self-love. I've, always, I've thought of it as kind of like something that's ongoing and just like vulnerability, it's not like one day you're like, I'm going to be vulnerable. And then it's just like, boom, this is easy. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a work in process, just like self-love where you're working on that every single day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I don't know if I ever thought about the connection between the two, but for sure there have to be um, overlaps because to love yourself would mean to be willing to share yourself. Like, for example, when I was isolating myself, it was, there was definitely a correlation because, or, or I would say a disconnection with self-love because mm-hmm. if I was truly loving myself, I would have been more in touch with what makes me happy. And I think when you love yourself and you honor yourself and your needs, like in my, in my case, but I think for most people, connection with others, love and connection with other people and interpersonal relationships really nourishes the soul. So Which for, is ironic because if you think self-love, you don't think like, oh, relationships. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because you would think like self-love is all about me loving myself. But when you love yourself, I think part of it is giving to yourself what makes you happy. Like, like self-love is, yes, how do I feel about myself? Am I being kind to myself? All those things. But I think there's also a part of self-love, which is recognizing who I am, what my life is like, and, and what I enjoy doing, and to love myself enough to say, hey, I recognize that you, Brendan, enjoy connecting with other people, and I'm going to love you enough to put you out there. And I see that you're not fully connecting with others, and you have that wall up, like you know you were talking about, and maybe loving yourself enough to chip away at that wall and love yourself enough to be open, because you know that letting go or being free like there's a there's a quote that i like by uh the poet rumi uh who said uh to to have love is not to go find someone else to be loving with but to tear down all the walls that you've built up against it yeah yeah and i think that's like that's vulnerability and and love so it's like love, self-love and love in general with other people. It's Those are both things that are kind of like inherently within us as humans. But I think, like you said, we kind of push back against it. We build walls. We kind of push it away. And I love that quote because it's kind of like coming back to yourself in a sense, that you don't have to go searching for love and all these other things. It's present. You just kind of have to like open yourself up to it and yeah. be excited about it. Yeah, and I, I think like a lot of people – uh, really want like uh, if someone's not in a relationship or if they're in a relationship and it's it's not going well, they say, "Oh man, like I just really want like a healthy relationship or I really want to be in love." And yes, you can create love with a romantic partner that you may not currently have, but I think there 
are so many opportunities to love yourself, to love your friends, to love people you work with, to just put love out into the world and put it onto yourself. And I think that's a big first step towards then attracting like a loving relationship. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about the energy that you put out. If mm -hmm. you know what you want, you have to kind of put that out in the world and it'll come back to you. Yeah. Yeah. I really believe that. Yeah, absolutely. That's something I like to write about too, because I think that that change in perspective, just it shifts everything. Because if you're focused on the negative, you're focused on the relationship that you have that's not working out. If you're focused on all the ways that, you know, something's falling short, it's just going to kind of keep you in that negative place. But if you turn it around and you say, you know, I'm excited about this, or I'm going to work on this, or I'm going to be positive, it kind of moves it in that direction. Yeah. And uh, just like on, on the point of, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. When you're thinking about the energy and the attraction that you said, like I, I've met people and I've done coaching with couples and, you know, someone will come to me and say, Brendan, um, you know, I, I'm looking for uh, a boyfriend and all the guys I've dated have been awful. They drink or they do this or they're unfaithful and they're this and that. And very often, uh, the, the, these ex-boyfriends have very similar qualities to what that woman was expressing in her own life. And, and then she'll come to me or he'll come to me, whoever will come to me and say, I want someone who goes to the gym every day, someone who eats really healthy, someone who is faithful, someone who communicates well, and, like, and just goes on and on and on. It was a really long list. And I'm like, okay. And then I take that list and I go, how often do you go to the gym? Or how often do you do these things? And I really find that like in my life, since my last relationship, um, and now like kind of getting ready to start dating again, for me, it's been not so much like what's my list and where do I find my partner, but first becoming that version of that myself. Like we attract people at the same level of consciousness as us, I feel. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing. I know we talked on the, uh, touched on this the last time we talked, but I think that's a huge thing. Like when we're looking for partners or we're looking for a relationship or even if we're not, um, and we're still thinking about, you know, what would like a quote ideal person be? I think we focus so much on things like, I mean, important things, things like trust or loyalty or, you know, they make me laugh, whatever. And I mean, those are valuable things, but when it comes to kind of like, our list or what we're really kind of looking for. I think it's important to kind of find people that match in terms of like the life we want to live. And I know this is something that I like talked about last time, but it's, it's been such a big thing for me. Um, something that I never really like paid attention to until the relationship I'm in. But in the past I was always like almost looking for, and I don't even know if it was conscious or not, but kind of like looking for people that were opposite. Because sometimes I tend to be like, you know, just fill my schedule and just be very busy. And I don't want to say like workaholic, but sort of like that, where I just get really passionate about stuff and just, I want to do and do and go and go and more and more. And so I find that I've always been attracted to people on the opposite end of that, where it's like, I'm relaxed, I'm laid back, I'm casual, like I like to have fun. And so that like attracts me because it's so opposite. Yeah. And in the current relationship I'm in, it's kind of the first person that's really been like pretty on my playing field in terms of like ambitious and, you know, focused on work and goal oriented. And so it's just like such a different relationship and such a learning experience for me to be like, wow, this is kind of like the life I want to live or the life I'm trying to live embodied in another person. And so far, it's been pretty productive. So I don't know. I just think like, why? Is, I don't know. Why do you think we're always like 
not necessarily, you know, I, when you said the example about the, the people who come to you and say, oh, I want this, this, and this, and then you ask them, well, do you do that? I feel like that's a common thing. I mean, I've noticed it in myself where it's like, oh, I want all these things, but these are not representative of me. So should we be right. looking for people that match, you know, the items on our list? Should we be looking for people that aren't? Should we just not care about it and just kind of go for it and like see what happens? I don't know if there's a, a really <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a good point because like, so like two two of my friends who are in relationships, well, I mean, I say friends, but some of them are a lot. One, They're older. One was, was my coach and one's a mentor. And one guy, he's like 57. And the other guy, um, the first guy's name is Tony. He's 57. And then the other guy's name is George and he's like 75. And they both have these like amazing 20 plus year, beautiful, spiritual, emotional, passionate, intimate, vulnerable relationships. Now, not perfect at all. Like nobody has perfect relationships. Right. But I, like, I try to model what I want after them and I'm, they're coaching me and helping me. And one of them, um, George and his wife are like the same. Like he's a, he's a beast mode, like type A, like I'm going to crush it. Like he's a best-selling New York Times author. Um, he's got the book, the business, the, everything. He's a race car driver. He's got a knife collection. He's like, and he's 75. He's been doing this like his whole life. And so he's like that. And so is his wife. His wife wrote the, you know, the female version of like the counseling book that he had written. She coaches the woman. She does the SEO. She runs the back end of the business. They work together. So they're both like sort of that same mold. And they have a great relationship. And then Tony is like George and George's wife, like also like big pumping up, written books, the whole thing. His wife is like very opposite. And they have a beautiful relationship too. So I don't know, maybe because I remember you were talking on the podcast last time about how you had had like less success when you were dating people who were on a different level in terms of drive and ambition and everything. Mm -hmm. um and it's interesting and i and i agree totally but like with that guy tony for example his wife she supports him like a million percent but i don't know if she has that same level of ambition and they seem to work out well so maybe it can work in you know different situations and then maybe it's not about like ambition level maybe it's about values and okay. like and and like because it was interesting i was i was doing a call yesterday with a client um, and we were talking about the differences between values and interests. And because in my last relationship, I go on a date, girl shows up. I start talking about travel. She's obsessed. I start talking about personal growth. She's obsessed. She start talking about this. And we have like everything in common, right? Like we just think this is amazing. And then we just get really serious, really fast. And we date like for a lot of this year. Um, so, and I thought, we were like really meant to be and had all these things aligned. And then what I realized was, I think we just had a lot of interests that overlapped. And then as I got to know her better, um, she wasn't always faithful. She wasn't honest. She wasn't very loyal. She was selfish. And I think, and I think what I realized was there was a values mismatch. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that in terms of interests versus values? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I guess maybe that is more of what I'd like noticed like in the past i i don't know it depends i'm kind of torn on the values thing because i have a background in christian faith and so you know it's encouraged to be like oh date someone in your faith or in your religion but i i don't really necessarily agree with that because i i don't think that that 
has to be like a major crux of who you are as a person in a relationship. Um, I mean, it's something that I like have considered, but I have dated people that are, that aren't, that are completely different. And so I don't know if that necessarily is like in, in terms of values, like faith wise, I don't know if that is something that I would consider like you know, non-negotiable. Um, but in terms of like other values, I think the value of like loyalty has to come first because if there's no, you know, the trust and the faithfulness, if that's not there, I, mean, I feel like that relationship doesn't really have like the foundation to stand on. And then communication too. I don't know if communication necessarily fits in a value per se, but it's kind of like if you're going to be on the same page about what you're talking about or, you know, how you're going to make decisions and consider the other person. I think that's super important. So I think I have like an answer, non-answer because <laughs> I feel like at the core, what you put value in, whether that's, you know, hard work or loyalty or, um, you know, those different things, those are really important. But then at the same time, do you need to be matched on every single value? Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. That I think that you should find somebody who matches on like the main values. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're going to be in opposition. If one person values like hard work and the other person doesn't, then it's kind of like one person's really working hard and the other person isn't as interested. Right, right. But, but you can compromise because there are a lot of other values out there. Right. So I guess it just depends. Like maybe you just have to sit down and think about what matters the absolute most to you. Yeah, then, like prioritizing values. Mm -hmm. And it's like if this person doesn't match this absolute non-negotiable value, then maybe it won't work. Mm. Which is which is actually interesting because um, in a prior podcast, I had um, my friend Abe on here, and we were talking about relationship non-negotiables, and he kind of has like a very set perspective of like, nope, I have things that are my non-negotiables. And it's just like, you know, I'm out here looking for the one. And if this person doesn't match, then why am I wasting my time? And I thought that was a super valuable and interesting perspective because I think I've always been like, who cares if they're not perfect? It's fine. Let me jump in. Let me try it. Let's see how it goes. And that sometimes has worked and sometimes has not. So I'm curious what your take on relationship non-negotiables are. Like, do you think that we should have non-negotiables going into a relationship or going into even dating someone? Or do you think it's better to just kind of like have those on, you know, in the back of your mind, but still get to know somebody? Yeah, it, it's, it's a good point. And it's like a spectrum because if you met me like earlier this year, I was dating and uh, one of my coaches was telling me to, you know, or initially I was like, I'm going to be really, I'm going to be trying to be more careful and try to find someone who's like, you know, I'm going to be, have more non-negotiables. Um, and I think that worked out pretty well. Um, but after the relationship ended, I met someone new. This was my last girlfriend and I saw a lot of red flags and I, I saw, I don't know if I, I would define them non-negotiables uh, in, in the beginning because I didn't really know the story yet about her, but I definitely ignored red flags. And I think it, it goes deep into like the subconscious and into being attracted to the wrong type of person for me. So that's like a separate thing. But, um, you know, my, one of my coaches said to me, because this, this woman, we went on one date, I didn't really feel, I, it felt like red flaggy. And then uh, 
we were going to do something for a second date and then she canceled and, and I didn't know this at the time, but she was lying to me and she was seeing someone else. Um, and ultimately I had a bad feeling and I told my coach, I was like, you know, canceling like this, this feels like a non-negotiable to me. And my coach said, you know what, Brendan, like it's not a woman's job to like take care of you and always meet your needs and like be super perfect all the time. You should be more flexible. I dated her and it was a disaster. And like that, those, like my intuition, so maybe it's more intuition than non-negotiables, but I think was pretty on point. And now I'm trying to be like more careful and and more strict this time. Like I'm sort of of the belief of having more non-negotiables now because I mean, I don't know if it's like being in New York City or being my age or whatever, but I find it like reasonably easy to meet people. And as a result, I don't want to rush into something um, that's so I have this repeat again. Like I, I, I'm being more careful and more picky. Like I've started dating again and I'm being a lot more picky and choosy. And maybe that'll go on for a few months and I'll be like, all right, I need to like relax my standards and not be such a perfectionist. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at now is like I'm playing long term at this point. Like I have a friend she was dating a guy for two years. They broke up and boom, she's right in another serious relationship like a week later after that breakup. And I, I said something to her and she was like, you know, but like my relationship was sexless for months and I was already checked out. I was ready to meet someone new and that's great. But she's rushed into this relationship with a guy who is has a lot of issues um, and, and like they're fighting a lot now. So I am... I do love having a partner. Like I love having a girlfriend. And, and so it's, it's a little hard for me now because um, I have a lot of good friends. I have this business, and, but there is, if there feels like there's kind of a missing piece right now. And I want someone like, you know, I'm going to Peru. I'm going on an awesome trip in a month and I'm really excited about that. But I'm, I don't have like, Christmas plans or now I'm going to go visit like my buddy and his girlfriend in Canada. But like, I, you know, I really wanted to like have a girlfriend to go on like a Christmas trip with and have someone like, so, so it's hard to some degree right now, but I'm also trying to like think long term. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or what you think or agree with or disagree with that. No, I mean, it makes sense. I think sometimes we rush into things because we feel like, you know, what if, you know, what if, what are we missing out on? Or, you know, we want, we crave that attention. I don't think that's wrong, you know, to crave like the connection with someone. Um, but I think there's definitely value in kind of putting up, not putting up anything, but kind of having in your mind, like a thought process of like, okay, this is really like what I don't want to get myself into. Um, and maybe like, I guess it just has to, it depends on how like you have to make your non-negotiables reasonable. I think too, because if it's like, Oh, I'm not going to date anyone that, you know, has, you know, dated, you know, X, Y, or Z or that many people or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, they have to be kind of reasonable because we have to be open to people's past and mistakes and things like that. And I don't think it's necessarily good to base our negotiables, non-negotiables off of a bad relationship either, but I think it's important to have standards. I think maybe that's a better word for me because it's kind of like, non-negotiables I don't know maybe that just like sounds too harsh for me (laughs) but I think like we have to have some type of standards and like for me the biggest one was just like related to the ambition and the drive you know I mean a standard for me or even a non-negotiable for me is like you know someone that like either has a job or like 
has the ambition to get a job or is working in some way. Like that's very important to me. So I don't know. I don't think there that it's wrong to have non-negotiables. It just depends on like the perspective we have going into them. And if we're holding people to these, you know, high standards, are we meeting them ourselves? Which kind of circles back to what you said about the energy that we attract. You know, if I want someone that, you know, is, you know, works really hard or super ambitious, like, am I that kind of person too? Or am I just saying, oh, this is what I want, but I'm just going to be over here, like hanging out, you know, (laughs) I think it has to match in that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And one, one other thing that um, I'm noticing um, sort of in line with standards is, so once you make that conscious awareness about like what your standards are, right? Like, let's say you're in a relationship. Let's, let's say hypothetically someone went to Las Vegas on a date with a guy who was a jerk to them. Weird. <laughs> that was super familiar. <laughs> As a side note, this totally happened yeah. <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, and, and you're with the guy, but let's say it was like a longer relationship and you know, the guy is treating you really poorly and he's like kind of in between jobs or he doesn't have the motivation and you, you become pretty clear or let's say he even has a good job. Let's just say he doesn't treat you the way you deserve to be treated. Let's say, um, you, you know, you, you're this amazing person and he's not fully taking an interest in you. And sometimes he's saying like homophobic or racist things around you. And like, you just know that like you deserve better. So you leave or he leaves or whatever. Now you, you come and you're like, all right, I'm ready to meet like a great guy who's like really there for me. And then you meet someone and I'm not saying this is you, but this is like happened to me. And this has happened to a lot of people that I've coached. You meet someone amazing. It's like, Marissa, you're like the most beautiful person. Like I, I was thinking about you all day today. I wrote you this poem. I, you know, I know it's a little fast, but like I told my friends about you. I really want to like have everyone over for dinner. And like this person is being really warm, not, not too warm, not like too obsessive or anxious or whatever, just like the right amount of like secure, stable, warm. Like you might be able to take that in. That may be your relationship now, but there are a lot of people out there who don't like that. They like it, they crave it, they need it, they want it, but they're like, whoa, 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 this is like overwhelming or would require me to be like really vulnerable and they push it away and then they call me and they're like, Brendan, like I'm dating this guy and like I really want to hang out with him and he's like dodging my calls and he says he needs like a week off to cool off and think about things and I'm freaking out, I'm freaking out and I'm like, what about that other guy who was amazing? And they're like, oh, I didn't have any time to see him. All right. That's so classic. I think that happens to us so often. Yeah. So what do you say to that? I guess, I guess it depends. Like if you're the person feeling like, whoa, 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 this is too much. I think it boils down to communication. It's not wrong to feel like something's too much, but you know, part of finding love is about being vulnerable and is about you know, like taking chances on people. And if someone's kind of like reaching out and opening up to you, you don't necessarily have to be on their same timeline. You don't have to feel like you need to change your thought process or your heart or whatever to fit onto their timeline. But I think there's value in kind of communicating with them and maybe saying like, Hey, I, you know, I'm interested in you, but you know, I'm feeling like this is a little fast. I think like a big issue we have like with modern dating is that people don't, communicate that instead they get freaked out and they just ghost or they get freaked out and they like shut that person down or you know just something stupid to mess it all up instead of just being honest about what we feel 
And then if you're on the other end of that and you're like, wow, I'm totally into this guy. I'm totally into this girl. You know, I just really want to like move this forward. You also have to be very sensitive about where other people are because if you feel something that doesn't necessarily mean that person feels or experiences it the same way, even if you had a really awesome date, you know, they might be hesitant. They might be fresh out of a relationship. They might be still, you know, interested in the last person they dated or not over them or whatever it is. So we have to be sensitive to that. And I don't think we have to change. Again, I don't think it's about changing who we are, but I think we have to be sensitive to other people and understand, okay, like they might not feel the exact same way I'm feeling. So how can I, you know, communicate to them, but not scare them away and kind of give them the space too, because on, on one hand, life's so short, so we have to jump into relationships. But on the other hand, life is kind of long and we don't want to rush things just because we're trying to get to somewhere. Like let love happen. You can't like make it happen by being extra aggressive. It doesn't always work. So be yourself, but kind of like, you know, let it happen. Don't be like, hi, we just went on a date and I just really care about you so much. Can I hang out with you tomorrow? You know, like just, just cool it. <laughs> Oh yeah. My last girlfriend would be like, she, she had like in her brain, like mapped out like every date we went on. She's like, I'm so excited. This is our sixth date. And like on the fifth date, I like that we did this. And then like, she pinned me down and uh, on our like fifth or sixth date and invited me to like two weddings, a concert, something with her family in upstate New York. And I was like, geez. And I, I mean, I liked it. I like, you know, I'm secure attachment style now and I like closeness and intimacy but I even told her, I remember we went to the beach that day and I was like, I think this is a little fast. You know, I like this, but I think it's a little fast because I felt like I didn't know her well enough yet. Yeah. And she didn't know me well enough either. Yeah. And also with that, like, there isn't like a set timeline. You know what I mean? Like, well, it yeah, isn't it was like, it isn't like wait till the 10th date to ask, you know, someone to go to a wedding. There's not a set timeline, but I think it's about being sensitive to the other person and not trying to make something. I mean, when, when we hear about people rushing, it, you kind of want to ask the question, like, what's the rush? Like, what are you trying to make happen? Are you trying to make this person fit into the mold of the perfect boyfriend for this wedding? Or, you know, are you trying to kind of make this, girl be the best date to your family wedding you know what I mean like you're just trying to don't make something happen just yeah. kind of let it be but there is no timeline so it's really hard to navigate like when it's appropriate but I think that's like about the communication and the sensitivity you know is that person asking you hey you know I have this coming up I don't want it to be too much would you be interested and then being receptive to what that person says or it's like hey you're coming to this with me <laughs> you know oh man yeah, I know that. So what about um, going back to a, a relationship I was in last year? Uh, I was doing a lot of personal development work on myself and I was getting into a good place. And um, and I was also like just very intellectually knowledgeable about this stuff. I wasn't necessarily living and breathing it emotionally yet. So mm -hmm. it was like I was being pretty hypocritical. Like I was very well-versed and well-educated on different psychological patterns that people would be, exhibit that were often unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And I was dating someone and, you know, like you see in any family, there's going to be conflict and drama and dysfunction. And with this girl I was dating, her family, her parents had just recently split up and the, the dad had, was like very quickly remarried. He clearly gave up on the mom and the mom was very depressed about 
the dad leaving and then it affected the kids. And anyway, like I remember really like judging my partner and her family. And I was like, you know, I was like, you might want to go to therapy about this stuff. And then I remember she was like, but I don't need therapy or whatever. And, and like, I think I pushed it way too hard and I judged everyone. So I guess my question is like, how do you, how do you accept and love unconditionally? Like I know you have, you know, right. It's important to have standards and values and, you know, non-negotiables, but the woman I was dating was very sweet and was doing the best she could. And maybe long-term it wouldn't have worked out anyway, but I think like it's important to also accept and be flexible and compassionate and empathetic. And I'm curious, how can one build those skills? I think it's about when you are with someone understanding that love is difficult and choosing to love the person anyways, because when we think about love, I think a lot of people think it's unconscious. And in some ways I agree with that where it's like, all of a sudden like love just builds and builds and builds and it happens. And then you're with someone and you're like, wow, I love you. I didn't have to try. I didn't have to make this happen. It just happened. And I love you. But then like life gets hard and whether it's divorce or like you said, the family conflicts that that person you were dating had, you know, that stuff kind of clouds the perfection of like when we first start to love someone. You know what I mean? So when you go and you're dating someone, you're with them for a while and then it's just like everything is pretty quote easy and it just kind of like falls in, you know, fall in love and it just happens and it's great, but inevitably things get hard and it's when they get hard learning to choose to love that person. And that's something that like modern dating super lacks now because I think people are just quick to be like, okay, it's hard. It's not working out. Let me jump ship and go to somewhere else. Let me find love, real love somewhere else. But we forget that real love is about choosing somebody. And so when, when we have this thing that gets in the way, how do we love unconditionally? We choose, we choose that person. We choose to fight for them. We choose to, you know, forgive them for the mistakes that they make or accept the conflicts and the things they have going on in their family but it's not easy. It's not easy. No, I I really like how you said that because I think in, yeah, in that relationship and and one other recent one, both of those women had family drama. I think everyone has family drama, but you know, they had like a lot of family drama and I mean, nothing compared to my family though, like, you know, drugs and jail and insanity Um, But because of all that insanity, that's what drove me to find personal growth and become a coach. So now, like when I meet anyone, I'm like, oh, that's anxious attachment style. That's dysfunctional communication. That's like unhealthy. And it's hard for me to turn those filters off and just like accept people unconditionally. And like, I think the other part of it is is fear driven, though, as well. For like like someone who went through abuse and trauma, like for me when I see anything that like deviates from like perfection, which doesn't exist, I then start to get afraid or my mind starts to be like, Whoa, this is going to like be really bad. Like your childhood, get the hell out. Yeah. And I think that was what was happening as well. It was like, I was afraid to like meet up with family people. And even one time with someone else I had met, like we were supposed to get brunch with her sister and her sister was like very rude and was like an hour late. And um, I like got all upset about that. And it, it, so it's interesting, like, you know, I'm just talking out loud about how I think 
yeah, learning how to accept, especially people's families, because like they can't control what their family is doing. You can stand up to your family, you can set boundaries, but that's also very hard. And also being compassionate towards your partner about like how they can stand up or interact with their family is also um, something that, that is like worth sticking by your partner for assuming, you know, you guys are on the same page about everything, you know, most things. Yeah. It's incredibly difficult because, you know, you have your family and you don't necessarily choose your family and that can be a good thing or a bad thing. And, and it's just like at the end of the day, like the, the issues between the partner and the family where it's like the family's kind of here to stay. So where do you find the, where do you like draw the line and how people are treating one another? It's, it's difficult. It's something that I faced in relationships as well. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't think there's like a, that I for sure don't think there's a set answer. It depends on the people. It depends on the relationship. Um, but I get what you mean about the, you know, you have that unconscious fear because if there's stuff from your past, you know, it's hard to be like, oh, everything's fine. I'm just going to like forget that. I'm just going to let it go. We have those, those fear mechanisms that are triggered by things that are similar from our past. Um, and it's not easy to let go. But I found that that's kind of like the communication aspect, which is super hard, but just finding ways to be like, you know, I'm feeling this way because of this that happened to me. And as that's something that comes like that vulnerability in that I think comes later in a relationship, you know, once you've kind of like been together and really opened yourself up, then it becomes easier to talk about different things with um, partner. But yeah, that's not easy at all. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and I also like what you said about kind of the, the jumping ship thing. And, you know, you see that in modern dating, but you're also seeing it with, uh, with divorce also like I think a lot of people give up on their marriages and or just even shorter relationships because with the swipe culture and you know you can have three dates this week like I have some friends they go on a date every night and they're like and they're like how do you take any of them seriously when you know you have like three dates in the next three days yeah I don't that's I that's crazy for me to think about but some people it's just like I don't know. You're either looking for something specific or you're just enjoying your time or whatever it is. But I'm just like, I don't have the energy. I don't have like the emotional capacity to do that. I would just be like stressed, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I I feel like you can kind of filter out through communicating before meeting up at least some stuff where, you know, I I don't know. I I think it is interesting how, how it has evolved though. And, And I just want to reiterate like what you're saying about, relationships um, requiring work and and commitment by both parties because like obviously after the honeymoon phase things can change a lot Um, Mm. but just in general like things happen like especially when children are introduced like babies layoffs and and I think it's uh, I think that's like those are the real tests of like a strong relationship is can you guys come together in that conflict versus you know, the moving on. And like, you know, I was mentioning one of my friends earlier who she had just jumped into like a new relationship right off the bat. I think that's her pattern is um, getting into a relationship, getting serious, time goes by, the conflicts come up and then bailing. Um, And then that's just going to cycle and repeat until she or both of them come together and like work on the relationship. And it's interesting because I remember having another friend who um, had been dating someone for a long time and there were a lot of problems in the relationship and he was trying to tell me them. And I said, well, Hey, like 
you know, let me suggest some strategies or a documentary or a, a book that you could read on it. And he, he didn't. And, and then he came back to me and he had more problems. And I said, well, I, I suggested some things that you could read or watch and you didn't. So I'm not going to talk to you about this anymore. And he said, okay. And uh, I don't know. I think they broke up. Um, but I just, and he was like in medical school. And I remember he was spending like 15 hours a day reading medical textbooks and he couldn't spend like 20 minutes to read a, this one thing, an article on relationships. And why do you think that is that people can spend four average Americans spends four hours a day watching TV. But then when you say, Hey, like maybe you read this book about how to improve your relationship, they don't want to do it. I wonder if it's because like we have the, you know, if we're, if we do it, if we do that, then it's kind of like revealing our weakness. Like, oh, well, if I read up on this relationship book, like I'm saying that I'm the one in the wrong and I'm not in the wrong. Yeah. Or I, th I know we talked about this the last time that we um, spoke together, but we talked about like, want like the stigma around getting help and how it's like, you know, going to a therapist or anything like that. It's like, oh, no, 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 I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't need that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I wonder if it's that. Um, I don't know. I don't know though. I think we just have to kind of unlearn the ways of our culture because real relation, like, I, I don't know, real relationships are, we, I think it's, it comes from first we have to understand that real relationships are freaking hard. Um, Cause I think there's still this big, like fluffy cloud idea that you're going to find the perfect person and it's all going to be great. And like it will, but not all the time. Um, I think like, you know, you mentioned like layoffs, you mentioned babies. I mean, there's so many huge things that we don't even know could potentially happen or are on the way to happen. Um, and it, it's like, you know, when life falls apart, you can't just walk out on somebody, you know, and to, to be in a real relationship, it's about fighting through that bad. It's about picking up that book and reading it and, you know, trying your best to meet the other person halfway. Um, to understand where they're coming from. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to fight, but it's yeah. not easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's a really important point is like relationship as salvation versus relationship for consciousness. So salvation meaning I'm in a bad place or I, I you know, I'm not doing well in my own life and this, I need a relationship to save me and fulfill me and make me happy. Versus a relationship for consciousness, which means like waking you up and making you be present and step into your true self. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's a really important part of like when the relationship gets difficult, are you willing to, you know, look at inside of yourself? And when you look at someone who's not willing to read the books or to go to therapy, I think it's, it's driven by denial and fear. And yeah. like, you know, the denial of me doing anything wrong, because then you have to take responsibility. And then the fear, and it's almost like, like avoiding being vulnerable. Like, I remember doing therapy. And then in the therapy sessions, one of my therapists would be like, all right, Brendan, take a deep breath, close your eyes, and then finish this sentence. And I'd be like, okay. And she would say, I'm angry that. And I would have to like fill in the blank and then I would do, I'm sad that and I'm guilty that and I'm afraid that. And it was just like, it was the most powerful way to like reconnect with my body and get in touch with who I am. And it was amazing and transformational in my life because like either we can manage our emotions or they're going to manage us. And that can be like the difference in the quality of your life. So it's really powerful, but it also can be those feeling those emotions and processing them can be so painful. 
So I remember like after doing this for a couple of weeks, I was like, oh, I got, you know, 10 minutes till my therapy session. Uh, I should cancel or, oh, I really don't want to do this. Cause, yeah. and, and I think that's part of like, you know, fate, what you have to face in the relationship is like to face your emotions, to face the truth and to not run away either by leaving the relationship or by running away into like an affair or some other kind of escapism tactic. Yeah, absolutely. That fighting to stay is a big part, I think, of love. Like the idea of like staying is huge. And I I don't know, in some ways I think people have gotten into the mindset that staying is a weakness, you know, like, oh, you know, you stay here and you're going to get stepped on and this is going to happen. And it's, I mean, it's a, it's a sticky subject to talk about because there's certain things that like, you know, an abusive relationship, like it's healthy to leave, it's healthy to walk away. Um, but there also is value in staying in a healthy relationship that's having problems. Right. I think we've kind of come to the culture where it's like, oh, this is just hard and, you know, find somebody who treats me better. But that's not necessarily how it works with real relationships, you know? work you have to work on it together i'm going to treat this person better and i'm going to communicate with them about how they can treat me better and we're both going to work on it but i also like you know you can read all the relationship books you want like that person that you offered the advice to you can really read all the relationship books and do all the right things but it also has to be coming from that person too you know like you can better yourself but if that person you're in a relationship with isn't willing to kind of meet you halfway then that in a sense kind of falls apart Mm -hmm. takes two to tango so that's yeah. a big other piece of the puzzle is hopefully that person will just be, will be as committed as you in trying to make things better to try to fix it, to turn around. Yeah. And that's like an area where if someone is divorced or coming out of a relationship, like don't be hard on yourself because you could do everything right. And the relationship still fails and that has nothing to do with you. And yeah. it could actually be a success to walk away. Like I know someone who was great, comes from a very secure, stable family. He's very secure and stable. And his uh, now ex-wife was battling depression and alcoholism and got into a good place and they were married for a while. And then she basically just stopped taking her medicine, stopped working on herself, stopped, you know, trying. And they did couples counseling. And, and my friend, he was like willing to do anything. He's like, uh, I'm willing to be patient. I'm willing to come with you to therapy. I'm willing to support you, help you get hobbies, whatever. And she just one day was like, no, like I, I don't want to get well. And I don't think she really meant that. I think that's just kind of her depression talking and it's sad, but ultimately the relationship came to an end and he was, he's being, you know, he's trying not to be hard on himself. Um, but he is, I, I think it's, you know, you always, like when something good comes to an end, it's hard to blame the other person totally, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, there are times for sure when, when either the relationship just ends or you do need to walk away. Like I, I always advise anyone who's going through physical abuse to just leave immediately. That's like, I think that should be everyone's kind of a non-negotiable. Um, but then the other thing is like, if there is a conflict and you guys are both working on it together, that's beautiful. But if one party is just unwilling to, you know, you can be patient, you can try to wait it out, try to talk to them. But if it's clear that like you're committed to this relationship and they're not, then unfortunately I think, you know, that would be a point to probably consider walking away. Hard stuff. Yeah, it's heavy, but I, I think it's like, I mean, I don't know if relationships are harder for me 
just given my past, like I grew up in a family where like business was easy. People made money, like friendships were all over the place. Like everything was kind of good. And then the relationships were like the mega crazy bad thing in my life. So I don't know if like relationships are like the hardest thing just because of that from my past. But I also see that like when working with clients and relationship coaching and all this stuff that the intimate relationship can be kind of like, you know, something that can bring out the most painful emotions in people and be like the most stressful situation for people generally. So I'm not sure if it's a, if it's me or if it's kind of like a universal thing. Yeah. I I think it's a combination. I think we make it harder than it has to be, but then it also is hard. So we can't deny that fact either. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I like what you said. I think it, I think, you know, there can be analysis paralysis. I think, you know, just working on your your self-love, your relationship with yourself, being vulnerable, attracting a healthy partner. And you don't, you don't need to like talk about all this stuff. Like, you know, it's good that we know all of it and can share it with people who are going through relationship conflicts. But I do know a lot of securely attached people who are in relatively healthy relationships that, you know, find a, made a, a way to make it work without having to do like too much intense work like this. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> no, but I think it all, it all comes from just the vulnerability part, just trying to find little ways to open up to one another and to understand that, you know, it's not like love itself is not hard. It's the relationship that's going to be like challenging. But in the end, I think like, you know, love is what makes us human and it's beautiful and it's worth like shedding our skin for, and it's worth talking about and it's worth, you know, taking chances on. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for for being here, for talking to my my vulnerability peeps, for you know sharing your voice. It's great to have you know the male perspective too. Sometimes with the latest ones I've been doing solo, and it's like I just need you know you need the back and forth, and you need the male voice. So I appreciate you being here. And yeah. Yeah. No, my pleasure. This was a lot of fun. I, I totally agree. I think having like the different perspectives is helpful and everyone can probably bring a unique experience or uh, vantage point to, to dating and relationships. Like everyone has been in different relationships. They've seen intimacy modeled differently by their family. So uh, this was a lot of fun and uh, I'm glad to be a part of it and hopefully your listeners get value from it. Yeah, I think they will for sure. <laughs> Thank cool. you so much. Yep.